Do you know the difference between swine flu and bird flu? No. No. When someone has swine flu, you give them ointment. When they have bird flu, they need treatment. Treatment. <laughs> you know. Okay. I, w- I did want to attend the seminar on vomit control. Uh, unfortunately, something came up. <laughs> Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode. Uh, this week I've got Graham back. Welcome back, Graham. Thanks very much, Roger. Nice to be back. Yep. Merry Christmas, by the way. Yeah, Merry Christmas. Uh, by the time we, uh, or I'm, I'm sure that it might even be the new year by the time I get around to doing something with this um, episode. Although I'll be on holiday, so hopefully it won't be February. Um, this week we're going to talk about an interesting topic. Uh, do you want to introduce the topic yeah. and how it, how it came to be? Uh, Something that came up on our radar? Yes, so uh, hyperemesis gravidarum is the topic this week. Obviously, hyperemesis gravidarum is a diagnosis of exclusion. And the reason that we're talking about it is we have cared for a few patients in the last 12 months who've presented very unwell with um, persistent anorexia and vomiting, Yep. usually in the early stages of their pregnancy or the first trimester. Uh, However... It's a condition that uh, can make patients very sick and it's a condition uh, which can be um, misdiagnosed as well as a condition for which the treatment is very important but can be um, a contributor to patients' uh, morbidity, including long-term morbidity, morbidity or mortality yep. in some instances. Yeah, so, um, so I guess what we want to do is define it a little bit. So everyone knows that um, vomiting in pregnancy is pretty common. And I guess morning sickness is um, uh, the sort of lay description of um, pregnancy-associated vomiting, and that's fairly common in, in a lot of pregnancies. But this is um, this is not morning sickness, is it? So no. I'm not sure exactly what the definition of hyperemesis crepidarum is, but basically it is like a severe, severe form of um, of um, you know of this symptom I mean, leading to serious. Um, Morbidity. Yeah, I mean, it has to be associated with dehydration. Yep. It has to be associated with uh, electrolyte imbalance or deficiencies, <coughs> to my so knowledge. So usually it's women who are bad enough that they get hospitalised. Although, having said that, some women with this syndrome uh, definitely have the syndrome and come to grief. And there are even some women who have died um, who didn't get hospitalised because obviously people didn't uh, recognise the severity of their illness because it was hard to... So I guess people who work in this area see a lot of women who are, who come in complaining or telling the healthcare practitioners that they have been vomiting a lot, mm. and um, it's hard sometimes to sift which ones are really sick and which ones are just um, part of that normal menu of people who have, who have been vomiting. Yeah. Anyway, let's get on with some of the meaty stuff and the interesting stuff. So, so women do die from this syndrome. Uh, luckily, it's rare, but it used to be more common. Um, and uh, we were going to try and mention some celebrities that died. So who was the celebrity? The, the one that I know of was a famous author. Her name was Charlotte Bronte. Yeah, uh, she died on 31st of March, 1855. And so then I did a bit of Google searching, and it's actually um, controversial. They think she might have had TB or some other disease as well, which caused her to vomit a lot. Right. <laughs> so, but there, so she might have died from hyperemesis gravidarum. That's, that's, that's a good enough. Yeah, I mean, there are cases of patients having uh, cardiac arrest, I think, Yep. Um, I think Princess Kate um, 
has, has been hospitalised because of um, hyperemesis. Mm-hmm. I might be completely making that up, but I some, think you're I'm right. sure, I think someone, I'm sure someone will correct me. More than a twice of a, more yeah. than two of her pregnancies. Yeah, that's right. Um, so very, uh, um, yeah. So it doesn't it's, it can afflict anyone um, from any um, area of life. So let's talk about the importance of um, the approach to assessing someone when they come in yes. uh, to, say, your emergency department uh, or your clinic or your outpatient mm. yeah, uh, appointment. What are the sort of things you should be thinking of when they say, I've been vomiting a lot and, and they don't look very well? Yeah, so you've got to look for um, a particular cause yep. and exclude other causes for hyperemesis other than morning sickness or pregnancy. Yep. So there's a few other serious illnesses which can mimic it, aren't they? Yeah. And so you want to basically exclude all those. You know, so problems like uh, pancreatitis, hepatitis, um, thyroid disease, in particular thyroiditis. Yeah, so there's an association with thyrotoxicosis, isn't there? There mm. seems to be um, there seems to be much more prevalent in people who present with this. Yeah. Um, looking for other conditions like um, diabetic ketoacidosis. Yeah. Uh, and or Addison's disease. Yep. As well as situations like space-occupying lesions in the brain, so brain tumours. Yeah, that's right. So there's even been cases of of people who have like a brain tumour, which obviously can cause quite bad vomiting. Classically, Mm. that happens in the morning as well. Yes. So that's very... uh, But, of course, if someone presents pregnant, um, you know, you you usually think it's the common things happening, not some weird thing. Yes. Um, Most of these will have other symptoms or signs or certainly the blood... You know, basic blood tests will mm. give you um, give you the diagnosis, won't they? So it's really just a matter of thinking of them. So I guess uh, take home point, you know, when you see someone, just have a quick Google or just remind yourself what are the diff- main differentials and tick those off first as well. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, there's uh, complications from the hyperemesis that need to be considered at the time of presentation. Yep. Uh, for example... Um, physical issues from persistent vomiting like esophageal uh, ruptures yep or malory vice tears yep so usually they would complain of severe sort of constant chest pain or they've vomited up blood or something wouldn't they mm-hmm. uh, and then the uh, the complications of the deficiencies so dehydration um, yep. with dehydration increased hematocrit and uh, the tendency to um, clot or thrombosis Mm-hmm. Venous thromboembolism. Yep. <clears throat> uh, issues associated with um, electrolyte abnormalities, in yep. particular hypokalemia. Yep, that's a common one. Which um, can be associated with arrhythmias. Yep. Can be associated with uh, decreased muscle function, including cardiac muscle function, problems with breathing, problems with movement. Uh, skeletal muscle function and then rhabdomyolysis. Yep. Other electrolyte abnormalities, hyponatremia. Yep. Uh, potentially causing problems like um, confusion. And yep. So what happens when you get hyponatremia? Just we'll just explain it to people who are listening. Yeah. So, so the get- c- cells of the central nervous nervous system swell. Yeah. So you can get cerebral edema, mm-hmm. which is pretty bad uh, for the for the way your brain works. Yes. Um, 
<laughs> just explaining it simply. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and then issues with respect to other uh, micronutrient deficiencies, and the one that's quite important is uh, is vitamin B1 deficiency. Thiamine. Thiamine deficiency, yep. which um, can manifest as Wernicke's encephalopathy. Yep. So, um, And it doesn't take too long for a pregnant woman to be uh, unable to absorb her thiamine. So it's about three weeks that a pregnant woman can become um, severely thiamine deficient. Yeah, so we usually think about um, the, these sorts of problems in alcoholics, don't we, or... Um and patients and with other, other forms of anorexia. So I guess yes. w- w- one way of thinking about hyperemesis gravidarum is that um, it's not just um, uh, dehydration. It's like imagine taking someone and then just not feeding them or giving them any nutrition for weeks and weeks and weeks. Exactly. What are the syndromes that occur? And, uh, and so all of these things are the things that occur in anorexics and alcoholics and other people who just don't eat proper nutrition. Yes. Until they get like a whole host of um, complicated... Uh, metabolic and nutritional problems can occur mm. and so they can be really complicated to manage can't they yes uh, and it's quite easy well, well not well, easy is the wrong word but it's quite uh, it is quite possible that you that if you don't manage the treatment correctly you can cause injury to them that's correct so there are pitfalls in the management of patients yeah, that's right if you correct certain things badly or, or you don't give enough and or correct certain things too quickly you can cause harm harm to your patient Yes. Um, so I guess we should go through each of these things in a little bit more detail. Um, let, let me just throw it out there. So if you so if you got this patient who comes in to you, Graham, says they've been vomiting on and off for like seven or eight weeks, but have, um, it's been particularly bad in the last three weeks, and the husband's brought, her, brought his wife in, and she's sort of a bit drowsy, she's really dehydrated, and she's lost about seven or eight kilograms. <clears throat> um, what sort of... Um, Observations and things are you want to going to want to do, and what blood tests are you going to do? Yeah, okay. So this uh, is try and make it sort of practical. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. We already yeah. talked about the differential diagnoses that you want to kick off. So mm. What would you do? I, yeah, I mean, I'm putting I'm, Graham on the spot I'm in, here. A little I'm, I'm interested in uh, vital signs. Yep. I'm interested in uh, you know general cardio, respiratory, um, gastro, intestinal examination. Yep. Neurological examination, but the things I really want to know is what's the blood sugar? Yep. What's the um, a blood gas and the electrolytes showing? Yep. I'd like to check the urine. Yep. In particular, looking for things like ketones. Yep. Um, sugar. Yeah, I reckon, and I, re- I just might just jump in. So you definitely want to do more. You want to do a blood gas of some sort because you want to know their pH. Yes. I reckon you and their sugar because uh, you're definitely going to find ketones. That's like a given, I would say, mm. um, but you want to differentiate diabetic ketoacidosis from just ketoacid- ketosis of yes. starvation. Um, and you can actually get an acidosis in prolonged starvation too, but um, obviously someone who's got a DKA, and you know, there are a lot of women who have diabetes in pregnancy or gestational diabetes, they might not have even known they had diabetes, mm-hmm. they've just, um, but they would have um, high sugar um, and be severely acidotic as well. Yes. Uh, it's good, and I guess um, I'm just oh, jumping. I'm, I'm looking at a piece of paper. You yeah. want to do liver function tests yes. and MLAs and thyroid function. Um, Addison's is interesting. I, I can't remember how you test for that, but you have to do a synlactin test or cortisol levels or something, but mm. I'd have to look that up because we didn't um, prepare for that. No. <laughs> but that, that is on the list there. I guess um, 
when you see one of these patients, you've got time to, to look things up. That's the beauty of this uh, computer internet uh, age. You know, we don't have to just um, rely on our heads now. Mm. you just got to remember that you have to look it up and then go and look it up. Yeah. Uh, or ask someone else who's a, um, an expert in that area. But you'd look at things like thyroid function tests. You'd look yep. at uh, magnesium levels uh, yep. as part of your um, a- approach to managing the patient. And ECG... Yeah will be helpful particularly if electrolytes are abnormal because um, subtle changes associated with hypokalemia or non-subtle changes may be present yeah that's right so if you have um, an electrolyte abnormality that is not associated with ECG changes I guess you're a little bit more reassured but if you notice that the ECG was abnormal you'd be really a bit more panicked yeah. And you want um, to correct it a bit quicker. Something that comes into my mind, the U-wave. Now, I don't know if that's got anything to do with hypokalemia, but I think yeah, it, it does. does. It becomes yeah, quite yeah. exaggerated in hypokalemia. Yeah, so um, so there's definitely case reports. You know, So if, if anyone's here, I'll try and link some of the interesting cases that we found, but there's actually quite a lot of um, case reports of serious grief occurring, even in this day and age. There's one um, that I printed out for Graham and myself, you know, from, um, when was it from? Uh, 2018. 2018, so yep. that's not long ago. That was last year. Here oh. in Australia, in yes. uh, Queensland, a woman had a maternal cardiac arrest from hypokalemia as a result of her hyperemesis. Um, so that was a, uh, at home. And she survived, luckily, but she sounded like she was about as close to dying as you can get. Um, she had a potassium of 1.8 when she arrived in hospital. Um, so that's pretty severe. Mm-hmm. So while, while we're talking about hypokalemia, because um, that's the first on our list, so... Um, so obviously it causes arrhythmias, things like VF and um, asystole and things. Um, if you have a potassium, a, a really low potassium, how 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 much potassium? Uh, if you have potassium say of two, how much potassium do you need to give that person to to get them back up to total body yeah. stores of potassium being normal? Because so most pa- of the potassium is going to be severely potassium deficient. Yeah, because most of it's inside your cells, that's correct. not in your blood. Yes. So if it's low in the blood stream yeah you've got a lot of potassium to give yep. someone yep so uh it's something like 20 to 40 uh mini bags of potassium which is something yeah. like 200 to 400 millimoles of potassium deficiency in those patients yeah so i looked this up uh when we had some of our recent cases so because we had patients with potassiums around two and you have to give them something like you know you're only if you've got a peripheral IV, uh, most hospital guidelines say you're only allowed to give 10 millimoles per hour. Mm. So that's one bag. You need to give them 200 to 400, depending on which table you look at, millimoles of potassium. In other words, 20 to 30 of these bags of potassium to get them back to normal. Mm. So, yeah, that's a lot. Yes. <laughs> so, unsurprisingly, um, you know, you give them um, two or three hours worth of intravenous potassium and then check the potassium again and it usually hasn't changed. Yes. <laughs> And then everyone gets really upset. Well, why isn't it working? You know, sort of thing. Um, okay, hyponatremia. So this is an important uh, electrolyte. Um, so we mentioned hyponatremia is common. What have we got to be careful about? Because there's a few deaths. Yeah. yeah there's some of the recent case reports from the, the developed world. Um, this played a big part of their death, the yeah. woman's death. I think the problem is that if you correct the sodium deficiency too quickly... Yeah. There can be changes in intracellular or intraneuronal tonicity and uh, size such that patients are at risk of a condition called central pontine myelinosis or yep. scarring in the neurons in the uh, brainstem. 
yeah, so it damages the myelin and the neurons, and that mm. can um, uh, cause you know severe, irreversible sort of brain damage. Basically, I guess is the layperson term. Mm. I don't know if it's just uh, in the brainstem, but I think they're yeah, the well, critical in the central nervous yeah, system. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you're right. So we don't know much about it, but it is um, we, uh, it is a bad condition. Yeah. Maybe we'll try and find a link to it. Yeah, um, and my understanding is, you know, if the patient's fitting, for example, yeah, from hyponatremia, then adequate amounts of sodium need to be administered but not excessive amounts yeah, that's so right. that the changes occur too quickly. Yeah, that's right. So doing it, correcting it really slowly because mm. you've got to give the brain cells a chance to uh, readapt as well Yes, because they've adapted to that um, low sodium environment by either pumping in or out extra electrolytes. Exactly. I can't remember which, the, yes. um, whatever is the compensatory mechanism. Okay, and let's talk about Wernicke's because um, this is the sort of thing that flies under the radar and people don't think. Yes. And they see a pregnant woman with vomiting of yes. Wernicke's. Well, they think, you know, usually I, th- I think it's most people think this is just something the alcoholics get. Yeah. But um, once again, this is the other com- um, case reports. There's been like, I think, 70 case reports of women getting Wernicke's uh, published in the literature from hyperemesis gravidarum, so pretty serious. And it can lead to like a irreversible permanent neurological brain damage that's Wernicke's Korsakoff or Wernicke Korsakoff syndrome yeah that's right so Wernicke's itself is supposed to be reversible isn't it but yes if it's not um, treated appropriately or maybe picked up late Mm. it can go on to cause an um, irreversible permanent um, dementia type syndrome called Korsakoff's which is is pretty sad yes (coughs) and that's the uh, condition where the limbic system is affected Memory's impaired, yep. ataxia is permanent, confusion is a feature, and then I think there's some ophthalmoplegia. Yeah, uh, so... But that can be part of Wernicke's as well, before yep. it becomes a permanent yeah. condition. We're not neurologists, so no. we're, um, we're not 100% sure um, how to differentiate when it's reversible or not reversible. But anyway, so uh, let's go back to that patient I was talking mm. chucked to, chucked at you, Graham. You know, the, the husband says she's a bit confused and drowsy. Yes, so... so uh, she, she's likely to require thiamine. She's definitely yep. going to require it. Yep. Yes. But she could actually even have Wernicke's She already. could, yes. So um, so you, you, what sort of things would you do like when you're examining her? Which um, would ring, would give you the diagnosis? Um, I remember you, you were saying that before, before we started recording. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 patient, the patients I've met with the condition <laughs> can't walk properly. Yeah, so you get ataxia. Exactly. And, but don't you get diplopia or um, they do. problems with your... Um, often. So you can use that test, which we use, which um, yeah, we get them to follow your finger and look for the. We, we need to fix, look this up fix, a bit more. Fix and follow, <laughs> I think it's called, isn't it? <laughs> follow my finger. Yeah. Just watch my finger. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. So, um, so you, I guess you need to do like a bit more of a comprehensive a neurological examination. Exactly. Proper uh, cranial nerve examination, yeah. examining the eyes in particular. Yeah. I can remember distiodicokinesis. It's my favourite. Distiodicokinesis. <laughs> my favourite word. <laughs> it's weird. Isn't that where you hold... Oh, that's right, yes. That's where you've got to alternate your hand. Mm. Okay, good. Dystiodoco, kinesis. <laughs> um, thyrotoxicosis, we'll move on from that. Um, so oh, um, ca- thiamine. Oh, thiamine. We talk a no, yeah. we definitely have to talk about it, because I didn't know this either. So mm. this is some of this, we're going into detail on some of this stuff because we realised that we didn't know this. Um, mm. So thiamine, what's the dose? So the dose is uh, IV, 100 yep. milligrams. Yep. As the initial dose, but usually it's prescribed three times a day. Yep. 
and uh, I, from my memory, when I, particularly when I worked in general practice in uh, the north, almost all patients who were drinkers would get thiamine as a routine part of their care yep. when they came into hospital. Um, the, the classical teaching was that it needed to be administered before glucose was administered, yep. um, but um, that may not be the case as long as it's co-administered around the same time. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's yeah. very important to give. Yeah, and we just had a quick read about this before we started recording because uh, one of the case reports where the woman died from it um, sort of went into a bit of detail. And um, it sounds like, you know, it's probably a bit like the potassium story. You've, you're, you're, by the time they get to hospital and, uh, and they're in this bad state where they're developing vernikes, they're, they're so deplete that they really need lots and lots. You can't just give like, them a one-off shot of 100 milligrams. No. And then it's it's all good. Mm. Basically, you have to pump them full of it for over a long period of time, um, and it it makes it's ob- it sort of seems obvious. But um, in this case report, I think they tried to give it orally at certain points as well. But you got this woman's got hyperemesis. Exactly. So, so she may not keep it, it you down. You have to give it parenterally, don't mm. you? Yeah. Mm. Uh, you got to make sure it goes in because that is like a definitely like a catastrophic um, but completely preventable thing. Cause coughs. Yes. Um, all right. I'm just trying to remember if there's anything else that we were going to go into detail. Um, I think we've really covered a lot of stuff there. Um, oh, volume expansion, yep. you know, and the treatment of hyponatremia. Uh, I don't know if we're going to say any more about that. Yep. Um, Feel free to ed- edit this out of the discussion. <laughs> I don't think we are. Okay. Well, actually, one thing I've thought about, so long in the longer term, yeah, so what people have kind of say, well, what about hyper, uh, anti-emetic drugs, uh, which I haven't done, I haven't looked up a lot about. and um, They, they and have become well. a mainstay of treatment, though, haven't yeah, they? So, so there is um, some good reviews, and I'll, we won't talk about it here because we haven't read, the, read up on them, but obviously um, um, you're going to try and use anti-emetics. If... Um, if they don't work, if you can't stop someone from vomiting, and you're going to have to try and fix their nutritional problems, not just give them some magnesium and potassium and some thiamine. So these women, sometimes the severe ones, need to have um, nasojejunal feeding tubes placed um, by um, you know surgical or gastroenter- surgeons or gastroenterologists, or they might not, might need TPN, which means they'll need um, central venous access, either a pectoral line or a central line which puts them at risk of um, the complications from those procedures, which include, you know, infections and thrombosis mm-hmm. in, in their veins. Um, and, you know, basically the only treatment for some of these women reading, reading some of these case reports is delivery. You know, they just make it to like, you know, 35 weeks or so, or some sort of, sort of decent um, gestation and eventually the baby's delivered and before they're released from the prison of, uh, of this, like, prison sentence. Oh, of obstetric care yeah. in the context of uh, severe, prolonged hyperemesis yeah, so, gravidarum. So that's right. So the, so the other interesting thing to read, which I don't think we'll go into a lot of detail, but it is definitely really important, is the psychological damage that an experience like this does to mm. someone. Uh, it is, must be an incredibly traumatic and horrible experience um, for, for these women who are on this really severe end of the spectrum. Um, and there's also there's... Uh, um, fetal effects, so the prolonged um, starvation of the mother for the whole gestation of this uh, pregnancy is not good for the baby either. And mm. um, there's a lot of associations in the literature from, from women with severe hyper, hyperemesis, you know, where there's um, 
you know, below average um, outcomes in, in many fetal areas as well, you know, their size, their weight, um, yes, um, development even after they're born, mm. things like that. So I think, um, yeah, bottom line, take home points. It's a serious condition. Don't forget or don't miss the um, differential diagnosis. Yes. Uh, uh, you don't want to, like, um, just jump in straight away with ondansetron and cyclozine and thiamine and uh, and some IV fluids and potassium and miss the fact that they've got um, hepatitis A or um, brain tumour or thyrotoxicosis mm-hmm. or something. Um, uh, yeah, think think carefully about um, the the things that you wouldn't want to miss like Wernicke's and um, don't correct the electrolyte you know get, get some help and think carefully about how you collect, correct the electrolytes they definitely need to be admitted to a critical care area yes they need someone to really carefully manage them in the first 48 hours if they've if they're metabolically elect, electrolytes are really way out of whack um, so there should definitely be an ICU yep. where someone can do a blood gas every you know probably an arterial line do a blood gas every hour seeing if things going in the right direction but making sure it's not changing too quickly and um, not, not going to do anything silly. All right. We've got, I think we're at the end. We haven't, we haven't even had any jokes. No. Um, Roger, it's nearly Christmas. This is not a Christmas joke, though. Do you know the difference between swine flu and bird flu? No. No. When someone has swine flu, you give them ointment. But when they have bird flu, they need tweetment. <laughs> I, w- I did want to attend the seminar on vomit control uh, unfortunately something came up <laughs> <laughs> managed to squeeze in a good one at the end right. <laughs> thanks Graham thanks I to, Roger I have to corner you uh, uh, again sometime and just want to remind everyone about the poll at the moment uh, I know this is probably old news by the time I publish it but at the moment Graham and I have got two votes to counting to Hindi in 2000 Ektor Teen Cha and, uh, Graham's already swatting up. He's I'll, pretty sure he's going to have to I'll, do it. I'll continue and the next uh, 995 uh, <laughs> in the future. And uh, I think there's been a couple of votes for um, methamphetamine or amphetamines mm. in, pre- in pregnancy. It's a really, so really so interesting we, topic. So we might do that yeah, yeah, at some yeah, stage. Yeah. But there's only been two votes, so it's not overwhelming. No. <laughs> All right. I'm still, I'm still uh, <laughs> traumatised by my methamphetamine <laughs> experiences in pregnancy. I've had a few. I've, there's definitely a few cases mm. that you can sort of reminisce about. Okay, thanks again, Graham. Practice changing. Yeah, cheers. <laughs> cheers. Thanks for listening, everyone. Please go to the iTunes menu and subscribe to the show if you like it. Write a review. This will also help us uh, get seen by other listeners on the iTunes menu. If you're also interested, please go to our website at www.obsandgyne.com critcare.org where there'll be lots of show notes and links to uh, interesting videos related to the topic that you've just listened to see you again next time